Fathers, we now come to open your word. We ask that through your Holy Spirit you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Quickly, a couple of things just to take care of here. Uh, one was just an opportunity to say thank you to uh, all the people that made yesterday uh, possible. I, a lot of you sitting here, and maybe some of you, a couple of you missing, and I thought maybe we wore them out. Uh, we had a lot of kids in the midst of a lot of rain, and uh, it was a good turnout, all things, especially when you consider the amount of rain we had. And uh, they asked if, about the, the, the leaving this part of the decoration. Oh, yeah, that's great. It really ushers in fall. <laughs> so you notice I, I wore a fall shirt to go with it, you know. I just, uh, but anyway... I uh, just want to say thank you. And then tied with, the, as we say thank you for all the help, uh, just to, uh, to let you know that we always need more help uh, in the sense of working, especially with the nursery. We need helpers to come alongside uh, some of our uh, teachers in there. We, we love to have, we, we always want to have two people teaching, you know, or working with the kids at one time for obvious reasons, and sometimes we're, it, it means that someone just has to keep doubling up and doubling up until uh, someone can make it or because somebody's sick or whatever. So we can always use more help with that. So if you're interested, uh, you can see me or Ted or Brad uh, and uh, let us know, and we'll make sure that we get you on the list, and, uh, and uh, we really would appreciate that help. And then finally, a thank you that I wanted to share with you before we started the sermon this morning. Uh, dear church family, thank you for all your generous gifts and love for our family. Our prayers and support are very much your prayers and support are very much appreciated. We love you. Love Jennifer, Christopher, and Tyro. And so I just wanted to share that with you this morning. Uh, they, she wanted to make sure that she, you know, that, because they don't, you know, they're not a part of our congregation directly anymore, and. Uh, and she wanted to make sure that, uh, that we got that message. Well, we're in Romans chapter 15. And we'll be looking, uh, beginning with uh, verse 8. And uh, Paul here uh, is kind of making a completion to chapters 14 and 15. Uh, and uh, we'll... I'll tie all that together in just a minute, but just to to read the verses this morning. Uh, Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to uh, confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In Him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And uh, it's, it, these are really important verses to get a hold of as we, we start to tie Romans together and, and finish it up. Uh, and, and we have to reflect back on Romans chapter 14 and 15 quickly just to, to, to get the whole point of this. Uh, Paul, up to this point uh, where we've come and study, Paul has basically, I'm going to put it in a, just a few words, Paul seeking unity and harmony in the church. Uh, he basically says, "Don't." Well, I'm going to paraphrase here. Don't major on the minors. In other words, the things that are non-essential to salvation, don't make big deals out of it. Does it mean we can't discuss it? Oh, no, we can discuss it. We can debate it. We can have very passionate points of view. But if it doesn't deal with the salvation, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, what it means to be in Christ, then you know, hold it with the idea of to disagree in love. And there's a number of issues, and Paul just pointed out three of them that they were dealing with in Rome, obviously, having to do whether or not to eat meat that was just bought out in the open market, 
which could have easily been sacrificed to pagan gods. And there was real concern about that. The other issue was uh, what festival days to support and to share, to share together in with the fact that in reality that many holy days, if you will, or festival days, festive days for the Jewish people overlapped days that would fall on festive days for the Roman false gods. And the idea was, well, gee, now what do we do? And, you know, we still have this dilemma today. I have people say you can't worship you know, and celebrate uh, the, the, the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. Easter having a derivative name of, of, of a goddess in the, in, in, in the pagan religion. You know, I worship a God that takes anything and, 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 and makes it holy. And, 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 you know, Easter Sunday is a celebration of the death, burial. I don't even know about that goddess. I haven't bothered to study about her, and I don't care about her. All I care about is the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And I'm going to celebrate that on an annual basis just because it's a time where the community is very conscious and I can say a lot about it where they won't let me any other time, some, you know, in some cases. So, so uh, you know, we can get so caught up in things. Rearrange the letters of Santa and it spells Satan. You know, and we can start to get on sidetracks there. The issue really is... Don't, you know, non-issues agree to disagree. And, and uh, we, we need to get that down. And that's what Paul was concerned about. And his goal was really clear. He just basically says, we need to come together with one voice to glorify uh, the, God of the, of, of, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come together with one voice. We just came together this morning with one voice. And I mentioned this last week, and I'm thinking about it, of course, again, with the idea of the persecuted church and how difficult it is sometimes for their voice to come together. Uh, but the reality that across the globe, through the last several hours and for a few hours more, uh, we have worshipped, now not simultaneously at the exact same moment, but we've still worshipped with one voice through the Holy Spirit. We have, through the globe, throughout the globe, Christians have praised God together. And, and we are one church. That's, that, there is no churches. There is one church. And so uh, Paul, at the, the end of, of, of verse, uh, chapter uh, 15, basically, or not at the end, at the end of the verses I shared last week, verse 7, uh, he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, you think about this. What he was saying is, do you, do you believe that Christ has welcomed you? And the word welcome here, again, remember, is to embrace and draw into you. And in other words, kind of like a father would embrace his son. And I, I picture the idea of the prodigal son story, the, the father embracing his prodigal son and returned home. And I'm realizing that God has embraced me that way. And God says, that's what He does with all people who have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has received the, the, the idea of the death, burial, and resurrection as their covering and, and their, their entrance, if you will, into salvation and the kingdom of God. God has welcomed them. You better be welcoming each other the same way. That's what Paul is driving for here. Well, uh, you know, how did Christ welcome you? And, 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 and I, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I thought of a number of things personally, but I realize he answers the question for us here in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. We'll stop there for a moment. He's talking about the, the Jews. God welcomed the Jews. And in the process of doing this, he was keeping the promises that he had made clear back in the beginning of the Old Testament. You know, and specifically looking at Abraham down to Isaac, to Jacob, and to the twelve tribes. What was the promise? Well, the, you know, we, uh, was that you, know, you would be a, a uh, that Abraham would become a nation, a great nation, and that his seed, his offspring, his seed, 
would bless the nations of the world. Go back into uh, Genesis chapter 12 for that. So, uh, he points out, how did did God, uh, Christ welcome us? Well, he started with, he came to the, you know, uh, to the circumcised, to the Jews, to fulfill those promises that had been made uh, to Abraham. And what he uses is the idea here, I tell you that Christ, he didn't even say Jesus Christ, he frequently does, but he said Christ. He wanted to emphasize the Jewish picture of, of, of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Christ, the one that you've been looking for, that you've been waiting for. Uh, in, in Acts uh, chapter 3, Verses 25 and 26. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He sent he, you know, to came to Christ first. By the way, Paul and, and the disciples continued that avenue of, of, of approach. When Paul would go to an area, he would go first to the synagogue, to the Jews. And if they were receptive, that was fine, but he still would then go to the Gentiles. But he, if the Jews rejected him, in one case, he just went out, in a sense, across the street and started preaching Christ to the Gentiles. But he always, the idea was to always come to the Jews first because of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So Jesus comes to, you know, confirming these promises given to the patriarchs. Uh, and, and so uh, the word, you know, the, there's a, you can come up with huge definitions, but the simple definition here that applies to this verse, a promise is an express assurance on which expectation is to be based. In other words, something, a promise is made, and you can, as a result, there's an expectation you can, you know, receive from that. You can anticipate something in particular that God's going to do. God said to Abraham, I promise you, basically, you will be the father of a, of a great nation, Israel, and your, your seed will be the blessing to many nations, Christ to the world. So, promises made... Uh, you know, with your fathers, came, you know, through Abraham, uh, were made and kept. Galatians chapter three verse eight uh, says, in, "In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed.'" Uh, again, God, and Acts, I already read it, but 3.26, God having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you. But the promises weren't to just the Jews. They were also to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Remember, not just a great nation, but uh, a, a, your, the that all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Includes the Gentiles, obviously. And that is confirmed in the prophets as well. The next few verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, and 12 of, of, of Romans 15, Paul gives four examples of many examples of where God says He's going to bless the Gentiles. The first one in chapter 9 comes from Psalm 18. Chapter 10, the, the quote there, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32. The quote in verse 11 comes from Psalm 117, and the quote in verse 12 comes from Isaiah chapter 11. And so, Paul's trying to point out, this, the Scriptures have spoken to the Jews and the Gentiles. God has made a promise to both about the blessings that would come through Christ. In verse 13 of chapter 15, he says, Then may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit 
you may abound in hope. So what Paul was doing was saying, you know, the Jews can stand over here and say, but the Messiah was for us. Yep. True. But the Gentiles can turn and say, hey, we were invited in too. Yes. True. And yet they were sitting over here in some cases between the, the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians arguing over things as to how we get together in the church as to what we might eat, uh, how we're going to worship together. Uh, do, uh, do the, the men have to be circumcised or not circumcised? You know, all these issues that were coming up. And they went to Jerusalem, resolved these issues together, and, and, and came up to a conclusion that the Gentiles didn't have to become Jews first. They were ushered in as, as is, if you will, all the, the condition of salvation. And for the Jews as well was, do you receive Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the author of salvation, the purchaser of your salvation through the cross? Do you receive Him as a covering over your sins? That was the essence that Paul was driving for. That they would ultimately you know, have all joy and peace in believing together. And notice that that joy and peace in the believing, all of it comes not because I decided that I'm going to do it, but it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do it. In, you know, if we come at this in our own strength and in our flesh, we're not going to solve any of these problems. We're going to come and we're going to say, well, you look different or you talk different. and We're going to divide over the most crazy things that aren't even having to do with the Bible. We must have the Holy Spirit working. He is what drives us to be together and in unity around the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and in the body of Christ. And he wants them to, I like this phrase, that you may abound in hope. The idea of hope is the confidence of what God has done, is doing, and is going to do. You know, what has he done? You know, he, he's built up a nation through the, and, and, and a lineage to, to reveal his son, the Christ, to the world, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So that we would know, we could say, hey, this man is the one who fits all of these prophecies, all of these genial, all of these things. We can, we can see that he's the one. And God so in the past put all of that together and, and always pointing to Christ. And then the cross. God has done this. It is done. And so we can look to the past with, with great confidence. This has happened. What he's done personally for you in your life. Right in the present. You can, you can rest with confidence saying, I know that God has done this even though I can't see where this is going here or how this situation is going to come together to, to, to reveal God's glory and to my good as a believer. I can't see how that's going to happen. I can still rest with confidence that the sovereign God of all creation who's put everything together and I can look at how He's done that in the past, I can rest with Him in confidence now in the present. And even to the point of the future, he is going to bring us together, the body of Christ, in a place where there is no hint of darkness, hint of sin, a new heaven and a new earth. I can rest in confidence that this is what he's doing. And so he says, I want you to abound in this hope. And I, I thought, you know, the word abound, you know, uh, I, I, my simple mind thinks, takes things apart the wrong way. And I'm thinking bounding, leaping, you know. And, and, and it ha it's, it's really the idea is to be that excited, though, interestingly enough. But it's that you will have, in, in the sense of hope, you will have abound in it, meaning to have enough hope and more. In other words, you have enough hope to actually rest in it, but even more. It's overflowing. Exceeds what is necessary. Over and above what you need. More than enough. God wants us to rest in a hope that's so full that it, that it, that it conquers anything ahead of us in the sense that it's more than enough to meet the need. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a sense of, of, you know, you could say over provision. 
He wants us to be so confident in what He has done, what He is doing, and what He is going to do. And so the reality is, is that He wants us to rest in this one truth. He keeps His promises. That's what I really wanted to get to today. He keeps His promises. He's kept His promises to the Jews. He's kept His promises to the Gentiles. So it doesn't matter what your heritage is in this room because that encompasses everybody, by the way. You're not, you know, Gentiles aren't just people from the, middle, you know, from the Mediterranean and, and, and Romans or, or Greeks. <laughs> Gentiles are anyone who can't claim their Jewish blood and heritage. You know, and and uh, some of you in this room may have some Jewish blood, and, and enough so that you would turn around and 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 say, well, yeah, we've got cantors and rabbis and stuff in our ancestry, and and I could be I could go the Jewish route. Well, the Jewish route wouldn't save you unless it ended up with receiving the Messiah as your Savior. My sister went that route, and it was interesting. I I sent her a an album that was put together by the Jews for Jesus out of San Francisco, a, a group by the, by the name of the Liberated Wailing Wall. How's that for a, a, a Jewish picture? The Liberated Wailing Wall. They were awesome in their music, and almost all of their music was scriptures, and especially this particular album, a focus on the book of Ma- the Gospel of Matthew, which is really appeals to the Jews in, 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 in the sense of, of the of of Christ and and who he is. And uh she listened to it and listened she loved it. Because it was scripture and most of it was Old Testament and then all of a sudden she realized all of these are talking about Christ. She finally called me up she says, "Guess what I just did?" She says, "I I just accepted Christ." Yeah. And uh you know, so she saw the promises. You see, I'm getting goosebumps right there because she saw the promises even from a Jewish perspective. Her brother, who chose to lean on his Gentile side, never leaned that way whatsoever. You know, I still was ushered in as well. Gentiles are anyone who are not of Jewish blood. And so everyone in this room is inclusive in the promises of God. Period. Jesus, when he, and, and this idea of, of, of to the Jews first is really, even Jesus honored that. And obviously in his teaching and in his, time, in his lifetime, but also even when he gave, just before his ascension, he gave the commission to the disciples to, to, that they would you know, receive the power to, to take the, the gospel message to the people. And he says, by the way, here's where you're going to start. Jerusalem. He didn't say start in this part of the world. He, he, Jerusalem, the place where they crucified me, you know, 40 days ago. <laughs> you know, uh, I want you to uh, start preaching my death, burial, and resurrection there. And I can't imagine how timid they were going back to town and up to the upper room. I can, I can imagine the prayers because they were saying, Lord, how are we going to do this? You know, and when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was a boldness that came with it. And they just started preaching. And chapter 4 again in Acts chapter 4, they, they, after arrests and being told, do not do this, they said, we have no choice. And they went to the, and they prayed again and the room shook again, by the way. A lot of people get all excited about the fact that it shook in the room in chapter 2. It shook again in chapter 4. And this time though, they, you know, it doesn't talk about speaking in tongues and other things. It talks about, and they went out with boldness and preached and shared the Word of God. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, First, go to Jerusalem. Then, to Judea, the area immediately around Jerusalem that was where the primary center of Jewish worship was. And then... I want you to go to the Samaritans. You know, the half-Jews, half-Gentiles. Think about this. I want you to think. Before he opened it up to the Gentiles, he went to the half-Jews, half-Gentiles. The mixed group. There is an order in which God did this. I, I, I think it's interesting. And then he said, and then to the, to, the, to the rest of the world. What's really interesting 
is that they were very slow in doing this. In fact, it looks like they may have gotten somewhat complacent. Say, we're here in Jerusalem. We don't have no idea. We don't know when to take it out. We're, how do we know when we're done here? I don't know what the questions were. The Bible doesn't tell. And I'm thinking of all the questions that I might have asked. But in Acts chapter eight, well, actually in chapter seven and eight together, we see the 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 the, the murdering of of, of Stephen, uh, and and uh, Paul starting the persecution of the church, and it says, and they scattered throughout Judea. <laughs> you see, God says, okay, it's time. And he took one of the a tragic situations that opened the door to fulfilling his promises. Now, we can look at Stephen in all sorts of ways as to how that is, how, unwrong, how wrong it was that he died the way he died, but the reality is, is that God used him not only as the first martyr in the church, but also in the context of fulfilling His promises. God does not let anything that His people do in reference to Him and worship and serving go to waste. Period. Even a death turns around and somehow brings glory to His kingdom. And in this case, they went out and ultimately to Samaria. And finally... It took a, a, a vision to a Gentile centurion and a vision to, to Peter to open the door to the Gentiles. But it's really interesting. The whole story comes up in Acts chapter 10 and, and, and 11. But you get to verse 18 of, of, of Acts uh, and uh, it's uh, verse 18 of chapter 11 Acts. It says all about how the, 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 what happened at, at Cornelius' house, the centurion's house, and how everybody came, uh, was blessed, and, and, and even speaking in tongues, some of the things that happened on the day of Pentecost, it was just obvious that God was moving here. And the conclusion was, from the Jewish leadership, when they heard these things, they fell silent. Because they'd been debating, how do we do this? How do we do this? How are we going to go about this? And they said, and they glorified God, saying, Then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's obvious. We're thinking, How are we going to go to this? How are we going to get them all? You can see the wheels turning. How are we going to get them all circumcised? And how are we going to get them all get, you know, in agreement, all this kind of stuff? And God says, They don't need all that stuff. They need my Holy Spirit. Here, done. Comes back, they say, Oh, okay. <laughs> Our plans, <laughs> God's plan. And, and the reality was God had opened the door and they said, well, therefore, it's done. Now, it took them a little while, a while to get it figured out, and, but it, 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 it was that reality was it was done. God did it. God was keeping His promises. And He was now opening the door to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. How far did the gospel go in the first century? Well, we keep finding out uh, through archaeology that has nothing to do with Christians in a lot of cases. Uh, uh, we keep finding out that it's further and further than we thought. Um, uh, Ron, uh, no, uh, Clark's, uh, Ricky and Paul, thank you. Paul and Ricky Clark in Japan also have uh, uh, an extensive ministry that goes into Mongolia. And there's been archaeology that's been going on in Mongolia and in, up into Siberia. And they have found first century evidence of the, of the gospel being taught. There's even the possibility, Paul, Paul was saying, of an, uh, a north, northern Japan island that they, they uncovered a temple of, uh, of light. And they were trying to try it to Taoism and maybe some other Japanese offshoot of that, and it turns out that it looks like it was the gospel of Jesus Christ and the light of Christ that was being preached. First century. <laughs> so, it may have gone much further than history denotes, you know, uh, in the sense of normal book reading and stuff like that. In fact, more and more of that's getting left out of books than, than is inclusive in them. But the idea is, is that the gospel, we know, went a long ways in a very short period. And ultimately, it has to all the earth. People will say, well, wait, there's that place in, in, in you know, the deepest of the Amazon jungle where it hasn't happened yet. It will. I think of, of, uh, uh, the, uh, 
of Fern and Raul Rich and how they worked so many years. I don't know how many of you remember uh, them, but so many years with, with uh, Wycliffe, tra- Bible translation, with a group of about 300 people speaking a dialect, uh, uh, an Indian dialect, in a, a native dialect there in the Amazon in Peru. And coming up with, there was no written language. They had to come up with the alphabet. They had all these years of working, and then all of a sudden these people started coming to Christ. Basically, almost the whole village that they were working in came to Christ. And they were thinking how awesome this was. And, and, but but Raul had to share it. It was kind of like a sense of, you know, we're almost done. You know, you know the, these people have heard now, now you know, with that have this language. We don't, there's nobody else that has this language. And, but there was a number of, of, of Indian groups, and, and basically you, they're the people that you, 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 you get. A, uh, it's one of those things where you, you think you saw something, but you didn't. You don't. You can't see it now. They were that able to hide quickly in the forest. And, and, and so uh, there's groups still that had not seen the, the, the white man, so to speak, and, 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 and had not heard the gospel uh, from anybody. Group from their tribe was paddling down the river, and all of a sudden, there's this guy standing out there on the river. And he waits until they come up to him. He's from one of these tribes, and he basically says something about wanting to know if it, something about the truth that somebody says you have. Next thing you know, they had a whole other tribe to take a written word and already produced Bible too. I love it. You know, God, God is faithful. And by the way, people get concerned. I am absolutely confident that any place, at any point, at any time that God puts it in the heart of someone to say, I want to know God, He will provide the means for it to happen. Period. I, I, I rest with absolute confidence in that. And so, you know, we have this example, though, that I've shared this morning of God, well, in those, you know, of God's keeping His promise of taking His Word to anyone who will listen and hear and receive. He's, he's prepared. And He, we can rest with confidence, He's going to fulfill everything He has promised that we haven't seen yet. God, I, I wrote here just a note to myself. God's promises are all directed to a specific goal. Restoring man to what Adam lost. Restoring man to what Adam lost. What did Adam lose? Everything that was important. He lost the communion with the Father, even on a on a, a, the casual basis that he'd had it. He lost his life physically. And he experienced, even at that point, what it was to be separated from God in the sense of, I, I, with all confidence, that God brought him back in with the promises even of the seed that would ultimately uh, free man from, from death in reference to Christ out of uh, Genesis 3.15. But that, that, that reality of, of, of that moment, I can't imagine how Adam's heart dropped. And as soon as he realized it and he hears God... What did he do? What did Adam and Eve do? They'd already tried to cover themselves. They hid. That's, you know, people run the other way, you know. God's wanting to restore everything that Adam lost for us. And uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, all the promises of God find their yes. And it says, in Him, which refers back to chapter verse 19, I mean, uh, or, or verse 20 uh, goes back, the Son of God, verse 19, the Son of God. So, all the promises of God find their yes in Him, Christ, the Son of God. Reminds us of, of Luke chapter 24, two different places where on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, let me explain to you how all of the prophets and, and the Moses and how it all pointed to the, to the Christ and what had to happen. And then he turns around with the disciples in, in the upper room and says it again. He says, 
Let me show you how all of this ties together. It says he opened their minds to it. And I don't think he opened his minds to just, uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, now I get it. Still didn't get it all. I mean, day of ascension. Hey, Jesus, we're going to go and take our Romans out now? (laughs) No, not yet. That's not going to be your job. Your job is going to be, and he goes on and tells them, Take the, the, the gospel to the people. Now, this last week, I won't go into any detail other than that, that I've, I have to just say I've been very self-absorbed. You know, uh, just kind of focused in, 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 in other things in the sense, just not selfishly necessarily, but just Everything seems to somehow rest in my little world. You know how that gets? You know, my world is the one that counts, okay? And uh, uh, I was looking at these, these pictures of, of God's grace to the Jews and, and to the Gentiles. And like I said, because uh, it was uh, personal, the way I was feeling about things, they became personal. Uh, and uh, as I was studying and, and things, I found scriptures that just were kind of for me, but I realized I could share them with you this morning. Uh, dealing with God's promises. One, was, uh, one place is in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, where God wants us to just know that we know that we know that we are His. Okay, but verse 3, he writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us to His precious and very great promises. What a phrase. Precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I can enter into the relationship of God and joyfully participate in it because of what He has done. And, 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 it, and the word precious and, and, and uh, you know, uh, the idea of precious and, and, and very great promises. I was I, you know, curious about the words and... and, and uh, uh, just this idea of precious is something that is just, it, it's, it's more than valuable. I don't know how else to put it. It's something that you cherish. Something that's precious is something that you cherish. And is more than valuable. So we are to cherish these promises. Not to worship them in the sense of, you know, but to cherish them in the sense of embracing them and saying, look at what God has done for me. And it is all right to personalize it. Look at what God has done for me. Look at what God has done for us. And not only are they precious, but they are very great. And the idea of great here is, is, is beyond, the actual real context, is beyond great. Very great here, the word that you, is beyond great. In other words, you're not going to find anything that matches in greatness the promises of God. And we can rest with confidence that He's going to keep them. And they are for you and for me. Whether we're Jews or Gentiles. He has welcomed us and drawn us in through the cross. I'm looking at this and, and seeing in, in, in even Peter, he says, uh, you know, for this reason, you know, he's drawn you out of the world of corruption. And he says, for this reason, verse 5, Make every effort. Now, there's, there's a call to us uh, with the Holy Spirit in us now to, to move towards Christ. Uh, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. You notice the fruit of the Spirit kind of jumping out in there. 
For if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you grow and embrace these things and you grow in them, it causes you to be more Christ-like and, 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 and more fruitful in the sense of, of how you see God, your relationship with Him, and how you share it with other people. And I'm thinking here, I, I fall so short. And then I miss the mark so many times. But even then, God has a promise for me. If you will confess your sins, I will forgive you your sins. And I will restore you to all righteousness. In other words, to everything. I'm not going to take you back a little piece at a time. He doesn't... You know, you get this much, and then we'll see how. You know, we're going to have to go back to square one. He embraces me, you know, and, and just restores me completely. He's promised me to do that. That's not an excuse to go off and sin. That's a reality of that when I blow it, I, I'm still covered by a promise. Philippians chapter 1. I frequently draw on this because it's 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 you know it's it's something that I think we all need to always lean on. Uh, very early in the chapter, in fact, verse three. Think, thank uh, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, all making my prayer with uh, <clears throat> in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, 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 of Jesus Christ. He says, I've started this in you. It's growing in you. And I am going to complete it in you. And I'm so thankful that it's him saying he is going to complete it. He doesn't say, Bob, you are going to complete it. Because if it's up to me, it won't happen. But he's going to complete it through me. Enough so that he can say, Bob, Romans 8, there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you're in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation that can take you out. You're joint heirs with, with, with Jesus. You're a child, a child of God. Nothing created can separate you from me. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I know I can rest here. I know I can find this a place of security and assurance. And I know because of what Jesus went through to get it for me. I guess I'm self-absorbed again this morning. Now I'm just talking about me, aren't I? He, what He went through to get it for me and for you. And for the church around this globe today, what he went through to get it. I'm going to the prophets, in this case Isaiah. He gave us a picture. Isaiah chapter 53, called the chapter that deals with it in the sense of the suffering servant. I just want to read, though, the last couple of verses of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be extolled. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his, and his form beyond that of, 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 the child, of, of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which was not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed, chapter 53, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Literally, fully made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. All my going astray has been laid on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that he was led to the, uh, that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and yet with a rich man in his death. Even at the end, God is always in control. Jesus should have been buried in an unmarked grave in a field. And he was buried in the rich man's tomb. It's amazing. Hundreds of years before it happened, God said, this is the way it's going to be. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. He will, uh, will of the Lord shall, <clears throat> the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall his righteous one by servant make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes transgression for the transgressors. He interceded on our behalf in such a way that he took our sin and he paid it all. Completely. Totally. God said it would happen. God's Word becomes a promise in itself. Said it will happen. It happened. And because it happened, we can rest in the confidence that it happened for us as we confess Him as our Savior. And He has promised, if we will confess Him and, and, and with our mouth and, and, and receive Him in our heart, we should be saved. You can never escape the reality, though, in that sense. The, the world that wants to run away from it, the cross is at the center of it. It's what He has done for us. And we rest in that for our salvation. And so, as we take communion this morning, keep that in mind. You know, you know, He made a promises. He has kept His promises. And even though we have fallen short, we can rest with the confidence as we confess our sin. He restores us. And we can rest with what yet is yet to do. And, and, and again, that assurance, that hope. Um, the emblems as they're passed out, if you'd uh, hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
I saw that phrase, it reminded me of a, a picture that I saw hanging in a church uh, where there's this, you know, clouds and a hand reaching down from heaven and all sorts of hands reaching up to God. But it was God initiated. You could tell from the, the, the emphasis. You, your mind, you're, you're, you just were drawn the way it was painted to, the, to the, the hand reaching down and to the hands then receiving the help. Love came down and set me free. That's what we've been talking about. He's restored our salvation, restored what Adam lost, and and we're we're God's, uh, and you know that picture. I am yours, but don't forget in the midst of that, he's saying to us, I am yours. 
You realize how close this relates? I, I, I guess I, this, I, I, I get amazed by it this last week especially. How close this relationship is. is there's nothing tentative about it. I am yours, Lord, because he's already reached down and said, I am yours, Bob. And, 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 and he has welcomed me. I have to say, you know, I know that I, when I first said yes, I, I did. I, I embraced it. And then there was all sorts of confusing things that started to happen. And I didn't know where to hug and where to hang on. And I realized the reality was, was me having the struggle. And as he led me through, he kept restoring this over and over and over again and drawing me even closer. And I know that I am more confident today in my, my relationship with Christ than I was 30 years ago. And, you know, to, to, to possibly even the dismay of some uh, naysayers, you know, in the sense of saying, oh, you'll calm down. <laughs> you'll lose your, you know, you'll stop being so excited about this and, and get steady on things, you know. Uh, and I never have. But as a result, I find myself going, and occasionally going, you know, I don't have this real even thing because I am so anxious to see the next part of what God's going to reveal about me. You know. and, uh, he's, and, he's, and He's going to. There's going to be something deeper yet this week than there was last week. And this, this relationship is so tight that He says again in Romans, nothing created can do, take it apart. I love it. I rest confidently in that. And it all is because of what He has done. He took our transgressions, our iniquities, fully, completely, in the sense of judgment, and brought us to peace with God. We have been reconciled to God. There is nothing that stands between us and our eternal life with God. Christ has taken care of it. Am I stumbling through it at this point in time in my life? Yeah, every day. But God, even in that, says, just bring it to me, get it squared away, Bob, and we'll get back on track. He's always there. I can't imagine how to describe it. You know, I get to this doing communion, you know, and, and, I, and every time... I'm trying to think of, of, of different words to describe what it is that he's done. And I realize there's, there's not that many words to do it. Uh, and we always come back to this reality of the fact that the God of all creation emptied himself and came in the flesh. And I, and I realize that to say that over and over and over again is not and should not be boring to us. The God of all creation reached down. He more than reached down. He came down in the flesh. Not only that, but He allowed His flesh to be broken, meaning torn and, 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 and bruised and wounded for us. He's been wounded for our transgressions. And He asked us through the, 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 the picture that He set up at the Last Supper. He took these, the bread and, and, the, and the cup and said, these are always to be reminders of what I have done for you. And so he said, this is my body broken for you. And he asked us as often as we would share this together to do it in remembrance of him. He came in the flesh and he was human in every way. Blood coursed through his veins and pumped by his heart, just like it is in us. And the blood was the life of his earthly body. And it was poured out, shed at the cross for us. Meaning that his life was given, poured out for us. He died, and, 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 and in so doing, experienced in that darkness the wrath of God for us so that we will never know that wrath. We'll never fully grasp it. I don't even think in eternity we'll always be amazed 
at what He has done. And He asked us as often as we would drink this cup and do it in remembrance of Him until He comes again. Father, we thank You that we can come to You with such confidence that Your Word tells us over and over and over again. And then You've created in situations of, of, of community together uh, the sharing of our experiences that we could see even in our own lives how You have indeed rescued us. And not only rescued us in the sense of salvation, but Lord, You have rescued us over and over and over again in our foolishness and in our tragedies and in our desperate moments. And You've, uh, you know, uh, you've been there for us. And we just we come and say thank You. And so we take this idea of even what we've said, whether it's, it's, it's mountains uh, high or valleys low, it doesn't matter. We know who our God is. Cause us to rest with that confidence. What you have done, you are doing. You will complete what you promised. And we can rest with absolute confidence in your promises. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Would you stand as we close? Uh, we've got some refreshments in the back. Got a lot.